sing all day. It's good to sing praises to our God. It's good, too, to open his word and to learn of him. So turn with me if you have a Bible. If not, there's one in the chairs around you. And turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We've been walking through Romans as a body, and it's been fantastic. It's been encouraging for me, this amazing text that was given to us. In fact, sometimes it seems too good to be true. We looked at how bad we are, all of us, and then we've seen the free gift of God in giving Jesus Christ to die for our sin. And we see that we just believe in him and we're given his righteousness. And we even ended last week with, man, where sin abounded and increased, grace abounded all the more. This word of grace that God just gives us freely salvation forever. Wow. Okay, we're going to stop and just sing the rest of it. No, but we could. We could. But there remains a problem out there, or two. We looked at one last week a bit on death, but this week we're looking at chapter 6, and I think some of us, me included, I slipped back into this. I, I don't understand how I've been saved. It hasn't really penetrated deeply into my heart, and so I don't correctly think about or respond to sin. It's a big problem how you think of your life now. If you say, I've been given grace, I'm going to heaven forever. And yet, man, I saw you out there drinking. You yelled at your kids this morning. You haven't prayed for three months. Who are you? You know, that kind of creeps start creeping in. I see myself, I look in the mirror every day, and I realize I don't really think rightly necessarily about sin, or maybe I do, but where people go, the reality is I knew have known close friends like this who would say that after you're a Christian, you don't sin. You're perfect. Yeah, I know, laugh, right? I try to point out certain things in this person's life about how they weren't quite measuring up, but it doesn't take long. We all look in the mirror for 30 seconds, and you know that's not right. We know it really because of the Bible. We're going to see in chapter 7 where where Paul says, he says, I do the very thing I hate. We see in 1 John chapter 1 where it says, if you say you don't sin, you lie. The truth is not in you. So this is not only our experience, but the Bible. But others more commonly would say, hey, you're, you're saved by faith. Say, we believe in Jesus and we're saved, but you're kept by works. Now it's up to you to get off your bottom and get to work. It's also not the Bible. We know from 1 Peter chapter 1, we've looked at 1 Peter. You're kept by the power of God, it says there at the beginning of chapter 1. Not you're kept by your awesome deeds. So that's not right either. But So how does it work, though, in daily life that I still sin as a Christian? And how should I be thinking of that? How does real change happen? Where grace abounded where there was huge sin. I've had Jesus' righteousness for me. Nothing I've done. Just believe. Okay. Okay, but I'm I'm, I'm still, still not acting as I know that I should be. So today we begin this. It'll be the next few weeks of how to live a holy life. What does that mean for victorious Christian living? How does change look like? But it's in a way that we might be surprised by. The Bible does that a lot. 
And it's about believing our union with Jesus Christ and how massively it impacts our daily living. Look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to start first with a question that he begins with. What about sin now? What about sin now? We, we relate to this. I sin now. What about it? What shall we say then, Paul writes, verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, many of us see that and say, oh wait, he's just saying, he's just saying, oh, should we just keep on sinning because it doesn't matter? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. We just got off saying how awesome the gift of God is. And so Paul, thinking of his critics, thinking this sounds too good to be true, says immediately to answer, well, should we just say forget it? It doesn't matter. It's a very real question. Maybe it just doesn't matter, you guys. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you say that you believe him, and then it doesn't matter what you do. Go out, be free. Sin away. What does he say? That, that, that's a question. That's a real question. It's rhetorical for him because he's going to say right away, right with the very next words. What does he say? May it never be. By no means. Never. Like he's waving his hand saying, no, 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 no. But our message is so radical. See, the gospel is so radical that that question comes up. It's so grace-based that it's possible for the skeptical extreme to come in. And, and Paul's saying, nothing that I do but believe. It's Jesus' righteousness. His perfect life and obedience is mine. That's the Bible. What about ongoing sin? So the possibility, number one, was it doesn't matter. Who cares? Where there's sin is more, Jesus' grace just overwhelms it all. It doesn't matter. Go ahead, sin away. No, Paul says, no. So we know that's out. And possibility number two, by no means, it matters. We are anti-sin as Christians. We expected that possibility. You've read it before, probably. It says, I get it. But then think about what you expect as an answer. Okay, Jesus saved you. Now, should you keep on sinning? No! Get to work! Stop it! You've been given this power base of the Holy Spirit. Go do the law! That's kind of what I expect him to say. God saved you, and now he's watching you to see what you're going to do. It's Jesus Jesus, and God as, as Santa Claus a little bit. You know Santa Claus? He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. No, be good for Jesus' sake. <laughs> okay, so I'm Jesus now, and I'm going to be good because I know God's watching. And now he's he saved me, and now he's kind of weighing to see. How you doing? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Come back. Is that God? Some person that I, 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 again, I know, I like. Well, God's like my father. No, I'm not going to force my kid to love or obey me. It's his choice. So when he chooses to obey now, I'm happy. And and when he doesn't, I'm, I'm sad. Get off your chair, you guys. Make God happy. Is that the Christian life? I know. And maybe I'm not characterizing it as you would. I'm not meaning to put out a straw man. But I know that many of us functionally live here. We functionally live with, I believe God saved me. And now that he saved me, I live under this little weight of I should be better than I am. And therefore, I'm a little guilty all the time. Just looking, God is about to hit me. And then something bad happens to my life. And then I start thinking, God did hit me. 
You know, if only I wouldn't have done that, I, my marriage would have stayed, or my my kid wouldn't have rebelled, or my I, I would have been a better parent. Or uh, you start getting into these causal things that happen in your life, and you start thinking like this: God's just watching me. And so the statement Paul makes is strange to our ears in Romans chapter six. Shall we start? Shall we say that? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Listen. What does he say? How can we who died to sin still live in it? What? What does that have to do with anything? How can we who died to sin still live in it? It sounds funny to me. It's not how can we who have gotten such a gift not pay it back even a little? How can we who've gotten so much not at least shape up That's what I think is rational and reasonable. He says, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Radical. What's going on? What's going on? This is a real question then. What's happening here? How should I be thinking about sin that's ongoing in our Christian lives? Well, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, we're done. Good. You guys get that? No, we don't get it. That's the problem. So I'm thankful that he goes on for a chapter. Because here's his answer. What about sin now? His answer is union. It's a wild answer. It's a radical, deep answer. Look, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him into a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And this is a new way to think about why it matters, why sin matters and how I think about it. Here it is. You've been united to Jesus Christ. God saved you by uniting you into Jesus. He transferred you and I from the kingdom of death and sin into the kingdom of righteousness and life. It's a whole different place. How can you act like you're still in the other place when you're not there anymore? This radical shift has happened to us. It's happened to you if you know Jesus Christ. Say, wait, I don't look different. I don't. I know I still sin. What, what's going on? Yeah, you need to think this way. This is how we're to think of our sin. This is how we're to think of our ongoing life. This is how we start to make change. How is it we go to our union with Jesus? And it's so radical that he goes to this picture of baptism. Baptism, right? That's what he says. You're, you, you've died to sin, and how can you still live in it? Well, don't you know you, your baptism? Now, for many of us, we see baptism. What is it? Spirit baptism? We start water baptism. We start thinking about Duncan. We start thinking about what does that save you? No, he's not talking about baptismal regeneration. He's not. Talk, he's talking about the picture of what baptism is. It means something. When he says baptism here, he's not talking about something that you must do to be saved. He's talking about the picture of every Christian. Conversion. In this day, if you were a Christian, if you said you were a Christian, if you came to church, you had been baptized. 
Because that was the actual act of saying, I put my money where my mouth is. It means conversion. This is shorthand for conversion. This is what conversion was. You were, you're actually saying, my life is Jesus's. I will go through this thing showing that I'm Jesus. What is it like? I get in a tub of water and I get taken and they take me down into death. Me dying, drowning there, up into life in Jesus. All that I had gone, everything else new. It's a picture of the reality that's happened. It's like if you get married. And the wedding there, and you're, the wedding, and then he says, does anyone have a ring? It's baptism. It's a ring. Say, look, 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 it's a symbol of my marriage. So it is for the Christian. There's a symbol that's gone on for you that actually means something. The symbol is baptism. Baptism, you know, you united to Jesus Christ in death, his death. You put down there and dead. And now you raise from the dead by your own help? No, by the power of God. So any breath you take now is not by your own power. It's by the power of God. Right? Amazing picture that he's laid out for us. Continuing sin, you see, it matters because God saved you in a particular way. Being put into Jesus, when God did that, and God says, hey, this is what it meant to be a Christian, and it means now still. When God puts you into Jesus, he's putting you into his death. We, we drank a little bit of juice and, 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 and ate some bread this morning about the death of our Savior. You're put into that. So you actually identify with Jesus dying for sin, your sin, all of it. So there it is, you're dead. And not just that then, not just that, death and then raised with him into life. So I think of my whole Christian life now as something that's new life. So listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a minute, verse 14. It says, we're cons- convinced, we're convinced that as one dies for all, therefore all died. So I'm a Christian, I've died. Then he goes on, and in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 6.15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what he's talking about. This is mysterious, and it's worth hearing, and it's worth taking in, and it's worth chewing on. Are you a new creation or not? If you are a new creation, does that mean you were an old creation? There's part of you that has died, and then part of you that has been raised and made new, even now. Pointing forward gloriously in promise. But even now, is there anything new about you? What is it? It's tied to this, our union, right? And he says it there in verse 5. Do you see it? He actually says... If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There it is, united, union. It's a horticultural term like gardening. I'm not a gardener. I fess up. You guys can school me later, okay? But you know how sometimes you, you actually take a root and you cut into it and you splice in something there so it'll grow? 
That's the term here. That's what my commentaries say. I've never actually done that. I have a feeling if I did it, the plant would die. But you're not done it. It's God doing it. He's taking Christ's life, his roots, the depth of him, and he's, he's putting in you so that you have life and grow in Jesus Christ like that. So certain that Jesus' death applies to you. And if you know Jesus' death applies to you, then you have confidence that his life applies to you too. And Jesus right now is alive and sitting at the right hand of God, and he's coming back and will reign victoriously forever, and so will we. That's my hope. Wow. Think of Jesus for a minute. Just think of him. Think of him at the right hand of God, a place of honor. Look at what he's accomplished, nobility and courage, his greatness. And think of God just bursting with delight at his son. Oh, Jesus has done it all. And that delight is now true of you, of me. It's hard to believe. So these people come up with different images. Here's one to try. I mean, here's one. What about uh, the other union we know about? You know the other union we know about? It's called marriage. So you think of marriage for a minute. And don't think of, think of new. Think of our fallen stuff where we sin on each other and pull at each other. Think of what it pictures. But, but here, think of someone who's worked their whole life and they've worked hard and they do their strength and through their intelligence, through their, oh, Genius, they've made millions of dollars and built up something massive and wonderful, and they've got it all in the bank. Oh, they've got it all. And they get married. So think of the status of the person who just married them. Did they work hard for all the stuff that the God that they now have together in union with their spouse? No. Did they work hard to earn and make all this stuff? Now they get to you? No. I know you say, Dad's prenuptials. No, the Bible has no prenuptials. Union with Jesus, that's what we're talking about. We've got a Savior who's fantastic and wonderful and has the sky. And he says, oh, now you're in a marriage union type of relationship with me. Guess what you bring? Nothing. Guess what I give you? Everything. That's it. So we are with Jesus. Death and life, the whole thing. What he did, he accomplished massive amounts. And it gets put on us because we're united to him. How are we united to him? By faith in what he's done. A free gift to all who receive him. If your eyes get opened and you see Jesus Christ and you choose him and you put your faith in him, that's what we're talking about. New life. Why? This way. This is how it works. You see Paul laying out, this is how it works. It's about being associated with Christ's past and being associated with Christ's future, right? There's versus past. There it is in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. See, the determining factor in your life isn't your past. It's Jesus' past. All the beauty and glory of his son. Right? So, so Jesus died for sin, actually in sin being placed upon him, and that death paid the condemnation of sin. And now it says, look, 
If we die to him, that brings the body of sin to nothing. Why? It's paid for. So that we no longer be enslaved to sin. The Bible's very clear we were in slavery to it. Oh, we had no freedom. We'll talk more about it. That's coming. But the one who has died has been set free from sin. Is that true? Look, sin comes from us not doing what God says we should do. We know that through the law. Again, that's coming. The law condemns us. Sin condemns us, and it condemns us to death. And then the Bible says, yes, and you died. Who you were died. You're dead. So that life comes only through Jesus Christ. That's the way we think about life now. The way it happened was being connected to Jesus' death, right? And, and, and so it's not dying daily. It's not saying, oh, die daily, everyone. Die daily. No, that's not what's being pictured here. This is, you are part of Jesus' death. He doesn't die daily. He died once for all. That's our Savior. Jesus' crucifixion definitively died. It's a bit like this. Okay, say hey. Say hey. Okay. I get all excited about serving my country, and I join the army. And I go off to fight the army. And while I'm in the army, I say, oh, no, no, no. I want to come back to my old life. So I start, oh, well, let's come back. And I get think I'm going to run away, and I come back to my hometown. And while I was gone, big nuclear bomb dropped on my town. It's gone. There's no house. There's no car. There's no people I used to know. There's not. I look and I say, what? It's all gone. What? All my history, all my life, it's gone. Yeah, that's right. Gone. You died in Christ, connected with him, meaning all that you were, if you put your faith in Jesus, is gone. And what you have is Christ alone. Life in him. We didn't do anything for this freedom. It's given to us in Jesus. His death for us, just like that, is death for us. We believe now, life now is in him alone. And, and I get pulled a bit because I think, oh, you know, but that's not true of me. I can go back and I can look at all the things I loved. And I can look at all the people that helped me sin. And, and I can look at all these things and I get pulled that way. Yeah, this is faith we're talking about. It's reality. But it's a reality worked by believing that it's true. And the Bible says this is the truth over here. Don't believe the illusion. Believe the truth. It's not just the past. It's future. It's freedom from sin. So it's not just this. It's not just, okay, what God did was he freed you from all these past things that you were tied to. You know, all that guilt you were tied to, all that sin you were tied to, all those things that were harmful to you. God freed you from that. And now he says, good luck. Go, therefore, and sin no more. That's taking the Bible out of context. But you hear that. Go, therefore, and sin no more. It's, it's actually being tied to his future, too. You've been tied to Jesus' future, too. It's not just you're t- tied to his past and he died for sin. It's you've been tied to his future and new life. Right? Verse 8. Look, now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died once to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So think about Jesus. Jesus was raised by God and he will never die again. 
He will never see death again because death doesn't have dominion, control over him. He paid once for sin and never again. And now he lives life for God at the right hand of God. So in verse 8, when it says, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him, is not a conditional statement. It's not saying, now I died with Christ, and if I keep things together for long enough, I'll live with him. We'd all be toast, burnt. This is actually saying, look, you died with Christ, and we believe if we did die with him, if that was true, then this is also true. Same umbrella holds them both. Our eternal life, our immortality is because of our connection to Jesus. Our being raised from the dead is because of our connection to Jesus. None of it is about us and our work. None of it. This is the way to think about change. This is the way to think about daily living. Here's the answer to sin. You have a new identity. You have a new identity. It's more than just an identity card. It's an actual new identity. It's an actually new view of who you are. It's based on Jesus Christ alone, his life and his death. And you are in him, this incredible repetitive statement. Did you see, I read it fast. The death, he died, he died. The life, he lives, he lives. It's repeated for a purpose. He lives, he lives, he lives. They almost start singing. He lives, he lives. Jesus lives. That's where we are. There's a newness coming, you know. There's a new life coming. And you've been made a part of it. Maybe you don't believe me. Turn second. We have time to turn just very briefly to Matthew chapter 19. Go there. This is our Savior speaking. Actually, chapter 29. No, 19. Verse, chapter 19, verse 28. Look. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Look what he says. Jesus says to his disciples sitting there. He says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit inherit eternal life. So how cool, this promise from Jesus, looking at his disciples and saying, oh, what you've left for my sake, I will restore. Oh, you will have wondrous things. When? Did you see the beginning? I say to you, in the new world, it's only two times that that's referenced in the New Testament. In the new world, it has the word Genesis in it, in the regenesis of the world, in the, this new world that's coming. Look, God's making all things new. When he does, he says to his disciples, special men, oh, sit on 12 thrones, and if you've left anything, I'll give you so much. And we have this picture of overwhelming goodness of a new world. I want to be a part of that. Yeah, let's look at the one other place that's in the Bible, in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Look. Titus chapter 3. You get to Hebrews, you've been too far. Come back just a little. And in chapter 3, verse 5, he says this. uh, Paul does to Titus. He, 
God our Savior, Jesus Christ, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ. Stop. The only other time the new world is referenced is right there. Did you catch it? It was called regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He saved us in the regenesis, new world creation of the Holy Spirit, meaning you're a part of the new world. Wow! I get to say wow. Once a sermon, we can say wow. Wow! Hey, the new world is coming. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's God making all things new. And you know what? If you're saved by Jesus Christ, by faith in him, the regeneration happens with you too by the washing of the Holy Spirit. Not by you. Again, it fights again. It hits against this idea that worms back into my head because I've been grown up this way and I, this is the world sunk into me. It's about merit and it's about me. I must do in order to please and get and affirm and somehow get to heaven. I'm going to do everything so that God looks at me and he says, okay, you made it. No way. That gets you nowhere. You got to get up there and you're doing this kind of stuff. You need to be made new. You need to have a new creation. You need to be a part of the new world. You need to be regenerate. What is that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. New life, it's coming. And the way we get it is believing our Savior. This is radical. Christianity is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a... God now looks at you and says, okay, all that bad stuff you used to do, here, we'll wipe it away. Now, go and be better. And at the end of the world, we'll, we'll take a look at how you've done it's not even a, all that plus I'll give you a little power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to, you can tap into it and then we'll see how you've done. It's more radical than that. More radical than that. Incredible. John Stott says it this way, What was crucified with Jesus was not a part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. You see, God took me and crucified me with Jesus. He took everything that was, I could say, was me, ego, me. And if you have faith in Jesus, that's on the cross, dead, because you know what? All of you needed to be tossed, and you needed to be made new. We're not getting better in the Christian life. Oh, a Christian, and now I'm better, I'm slowly better. You were dead, and now you're alive. Okay, we need to apply this because I know many of you are with me. You're kind of walking, I kind of hear this. I hear what Romans is saying. I see what Paul is saying. But how does that really work itself out? You're not really helping me, Dax, with, with how do I think then about these things? I see, I see that it's about being in Christ. It's about our union. That life ongoing is about our union. See, Paul wants you to apply that. Your new identity. Look at verse 11. So, you must also... Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to take these one at a time. These are now commands. This is now what we're to do. 
Like, okay, here's practical. Here's, here's getting down to it. What do we do then? Okay, here's the first thing. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the way to think about change, even about behavior change, about sin, is to remember the path that got you here. Consider means to reckon or to think, to remind yourself, to stay there. You're dead to the realm of sin. It's no more your master. You're alive to God. Where? In Christ Jesus. This is our trust. This is our belief that in my union, in Christ Jesus, together, comes real change. Comes God actually seeing me with the delight that he delights in his son. If you're not there, you do believe God is Santa Claus. No matter how you want to put it, you may do just little pieces of it, but you believe God as Santa Claus looking and saying, okay, if you're good, I will be good to you. If you're bad, I will be unkind to you. Wherever you put that, you can put it at the end, you put it at the beginning. Either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. And so this is our new identity. Who are we? We are in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. I'm not primarily a spouse or a parent or a worker or a cool guy who wants everyone to like him. I'm not primarily driven by anything but knowing that I'm in Christ Jesus. So think about that for a minute. Let's apply it. If that's true, I'm considering myself. What am I considering? How does that play back? How do I say, well, wait, Dax, am I doing that or not? One of the things is, what do you do with sin? Do you hide it? Well, I died. Why do you hide? This is a big deal. Don't hide that you fail personally. That just says, what do you say when you hide stuff away? It says your, your Savior doesn't pay for everything. i got to hide because I can't show you that I'm actually not making the bar that we've all set as the bar. What's the bar? The bar is faith in Jesus, paying for your sin and making you alive. So if you then have a sin, yeah, that's what Jesus paid for. It's like anatomy a little bit. It's interesting. We we cut something apart and we look at it. And I, what if I was the body sitting there and I picked up and picked up my lungs and they're all diseased and you know I was just smoking and they get all crummy and black. Have you seen those pictures? Ugh. And I try and make excuses. You know, it still works. It's still functioning. Look, oxygen could still go in there. And I know it looks really bad, but oxygen could make it. That's what I do. I try and hide it away. So, well, it's still functioning. It's still okay. No, 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 no. Instead, I agree. Yeah, that's terrible. As I take breaths with whole new lungs. You're breathing with a new set of lungs now. So I I think this way. I think, oh, I was with Jesus. I died. Everything I was is gone. Jesus paid it all. And now he's given me new life. This is my connection. This is my connection. This is why sin doesn't work anymore for me. Then he says, verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Okay, my mortal body is my physical body. And so here he is saying, okay, don't let sin reign. Don't you see that that's consider that sin is dead as you've been promised 
and don't let it rain, that you should, what, obey its passions. The word there is super passions. It's, it's, it's deep passions. It's the things that drive you. Don't be driven by these things that you've died to. This is how you do it. You consider yourself dead. So the things I really cared about, if you had to push me to the wall, what I really wanted, I wanted my wife to just acknowledge that I was really awesome. I spent my whole life trying to get her to say, well done, dear. She's going to say that to me this afternoon, I know, just because we've done this. I spent my whole life thinking I'm going to gather. I need to show that I'm strong and so, and I'm fit and I will, I will, man, ultra marathons are my thing. Look how awesome I am. Get money. People go after money and stuff. People say how rich they're. People get driven by work and so they, they get it. These passions that are driving passions about who we are. You have one driving passion if you're a Christian. He has a name. Jesus Christ. That's your passion. The glorious gospel, the, the only way you're going to live forever, the thing that actually says, I'm it. I, I don't care about sin. Sure, I'm a sinner that died on the cross with Jesus. Sure, tell me, <laughs> sin. But I've got a hope. You see, I've got a passion. Sin doesn't reign in me anymore because that stuff died when I put my faith in Jesus and realized he was my only hope. I'm no longer trying to present a face to you of all the ways I'm good because I'm not, except for the new life I've been given in Jesus. That's what they're saying. It's practical. See, this is the sin piece. You are the center of everything. Eventually, this thinking leads to the Christian, even the Christian. We, we can get pulled back. That's why he says it. He's talking to Christians here. Don't let sin, don't let those passions. He's not talking about, he's not talking about looking at pictures on the internet. He's talking about what drives your deepest peace. And what drives our deepest peace is usually us. Me at the center. And even for Christians, we get pulled into this. And so where we get pulled to is to say, it's all about me. God's going to judge me on my personal holiness. Who do you think you are? Paul says, who you are is united to Jesus Christ, and therefore you died. You're not alive anymore. The only life you have is what's been given to you in Jesus Christ. If you do a single good thing, who did it? Jesus. If there's a single good fruit that comes out of you, who did it? Jesus. Well, I just got to make it about me. I'm, I'm, I'm a better person than that guy over there. They're not bearing much fruit. I'm doing much better. Okay, prideful person who speaks in a rough, gravelly voice. <laughs> you can test this. You can test where you get angry or bitter. We start to really get in your heart about something. You test and see if it's not about you. You're angry at something that someone's done and it's about you not getting what you need. Where are you really fearful or worry about something? I'm so worried. Are you alive in Jesus? Well, yes, but. Well, there's that yes, but thing again. We talked about that already. Yeah, I'm alive in Jesus, but I'm not getting what I need. I'm so worried. That's... Are you alive or not? I mean, not to lack compassion here. We all struggle. 
You struggle too. I struggle with worry. But where we start to see that, we can see where we're actually getting pulled back to letting sin reign. Because underneath that is this desire for me. Okay. Verse 13, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This goes along. Okay, we're thinking this path, right? Present your members as realizing who you are. Look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, stop. You can do it. Stop. And do all this stuff. No, he says, present yourself to God thinking this way. Present yourself. Oh, here, Lord. I've been brought from death to life. I have nothing to give you. You've given me everything and you've made me alive. Please use me. I'm yours. That, that's what we're to do. We're to come to God and say, Lord, I realize it. I get it. My eyes are open. I'm rejoicing in you. I'm humbled and I have such gratitude for you. Oh, I'm yours, Lord. You've made me alive. That, that's all it's saying. Brought to death to life by God, not by you. Instrument for righteousness. Jesus' rightness. His righteousness. You want life to spread to other people. This is how it does it. You give yourself to God. And even he finishes this way. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Do you get that as he closes? Do you get that as he ends this little section? He says, wait. No, sin has no dominion over you. It ties back to how you think about who you are. I'm Jesus Christ. I died. The life that I have has been given to me, a new creation. And so I'm not in the realm of judged for me anymore. Because where that happens, the law comes in and says you're not perfect. And the law is right. The law comes in and says, you messed up, you sinner. And the law is right. To get us from that realm, we all lived there. We were accused and we were guilty. To get us from that realm, God had to kill us in Christ and transfer us. Hey, sin paid for, death happened, condemnation done, into a realm of life. Therefore, sin has no more accusing power, even though I struggle with it. Sin has no more accusing power over me. I'm not in that kingdom anymore. It's about the law. There it says, you're not under law, but under grace. God's gift, not law. And you say, what about law, Dax? What about law? Yeah, next week he's going to tackle it. It's coming. But look at that quote I gave you to end. The foundation of sanctification is rooted not in humanity and their achievement of holiness, but in what God has done in Christ and for us in union with him. Wow. This is way bigger than we know. Way bigger than we know. Sin is no longer our identity. The way through this is to keep our eyes on our Savior, realize our union with him. This is what obedience is anyway, and to abide. So you stop making life centered on personal holiness, though it will happen. That's not the center. That sense of achievement for me. Look what I've gotten. You have nothing. We have nothing. We make like life about, are you alive? Are you in Jesus? Oh. 
So I think about judgment on myself, guilt on myself, labor to earn. No, no way. No, I think about my identity. I'm driven to humility and gratitude. You are too. Humility. We have nothing. Gratitude. Look what's been done to us. And there, openly dependent on the gospel alone, real change happens. Oh, may the Holy Spirit bear much fruit through you as you keep your eyes on your union with Christ. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.